Um, amen. And so in Ephesians, it's, uh, I didn't plan it this way, but it just so happens that the message, uh, the breastplate of righteousness, fits right in with uh, having communion. And that's, that's not something I plan by any stretch of the imagination, because that is just not my gift anyway. I just sort of lumber along, and, and uh, as everyone knows. But uh, God is, is good. He, he will supply us with, the, with what we need to hear from songs and from the scripture that was read. And, and so he's in the midst of it all. But we do want this morning to look at this breastplate of uh, of righteousness, and we see that we are in a spiritual warfare. That's what we've been talking about. Our role in this warfare uh, is to be active soldiers. We're all soldiers. Uh, our rival, we looked at, was our enemy is the devil and his legions of demons. We also uh, uh, last week the belt of truth, which is one of the resources that we have. There are seven pieces of armor that we'll be looking at. This morning we will be looking at the, the breastplate of, of righteousness. And so let's read together uh, Ephesians chapter 6. If you're not there, you can turn there in verse 10, beginning there. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, put on the whole armor of God that you will be able to, to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your waist, uh, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Wow. And so we want to look at that this morning. The breastplate of righteousness. Jeremiah spoke of the one who was to come uh, in Jeremiah 23, 5 and 6. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety. This is the name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteous Savior. Speaking of our wonderful Lord and Savior, uh, so we're going to be dealing with the Lord, our righteousness. And uh, it's extremely important that we understand what this righteousness and who this righteousness is. Uh, uh, belongs to. In Romans 10, 1 through 4, it says, Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. And of course, we looked at truth last week. And uh, you have to know the truth. And he says, since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the culmination of the law so that there may be righteousness for everyone who works real hard and tries and does their best. Is that what it says? 
No, it's those, everyone who believes. By faith. Uh, by faith you're saved. By grace through faith. So we need to, as Romans 13, 14 says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provisions for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Put on Christ. And that's what Paul, I believe, is very clearly telling us here with this armor. This is all outside stuff. You know, we have a we have a uh, endoskeleton, which is inside of us, holds us up, or we'd really be funny. But this is an exoskeleton, if you will. This is something that protects us from the outside because really there is no protection. Uh, we do not have like an armadillo, an exoskeleton, but we do with Christ. See, he protects us and he covers us and uh, he is our protection. Uh, and the breastplate was to protect your heart and other vital or organs as well. So what is Paul talking about when he says righteousness? And I think I've already given that away. But uh, we find in God's word that there are two senses in which the word righteousness is used. There is, first of all, justifying righteousness or imputed righteousness. This righteousness is not worked out by, by us. It's not produced by us. We don't cooperate with God in producing this righteousness. It is outside of us. It is something we are clothed in. It's a righteousness that God gives. The righteousness of Jesus Christ is credited or put to our account when we believe him, when we trust him, when we call upon him, when we have faith in him, when we're born again. And so these are all different ways of, uh, of saying we need his righteousness. Without the righteousness of Christ, you will not make it to heaven. And you receive that righteousness by faith, by trust. And uh, we're clothed in that righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. What does the Bible say about your righteousness? Isaiah said it pretty good. Isaiah 64, 6 and 7. All of us, not most of us, all of us have become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. And that's, that's a pretty descriptive. You can look it up. We all sh uh, shrivel up like a leaf. And like the wind, our sins uh, sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you. No one. Uh, there's no one who seeks after God. For you have hidden your face from us and have given us over to our sins. And I'm glad that's not the end of the story. Amen. Because he died for us. And uh, we now have by faith his righteousness. And so there is also, secondly, though, an imparted righteousness, which is more reference to our sanctification or to the work of the Holy Spirit in us. It's the, the, the fruit of the Spirit that we find in Galatians 5.22. Uh, it is, uh, James talks about the fruits of righteousness. Hebrews, Hebrews 12.11 says, No discipline seems unpleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace 
fruit of the Spirit for those who have been trained by it. And so, yeah, God is working in us. Okay? Uh, so, this is something that he is doing, but it's not something that Paul is saying here that we clothe ourselves with. If you're trying to clothe yourself with how good you are and how well you're, you're jumping through the hoops, you're going to find out you fall way short. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Remember, we think we shoot the, uh, the bow and the arrow and somehow the, the arrow, when it hits the target, is just like that far off the bullseye. That's what we think. But actually, when we, when we let go, when we pull the string back and let go, we find out that it's not even knocked. It just kind of falls off the end of the bow. Okay, that's, <laughs> that's your righteousness. That's your righteousness. And you don't just barely miss the bullseye. Uh, uh, this breaks uh, a lot of people's uh, bull, uh, their, their thinking of themselves, but it's the Holy Spirit. And it's not both here. It's not, it's not the righteousness of Christ and the Holy Spirit working in us together. No. I think Paul is very clear. It's this imputed righteousness. This righteousness that is not... Of ourselves. Philippians 3, 8 and 9 says, Paul says, What is more, I consider everything a loss. Now he's talking about his past life, what he was as a Pharisee, because of surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them what? Garbage or. or um, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a, what? A righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. So clear. It is so clear. We, we trust Christ. We put on his righteousness by faith, and he is ours by faith. Not by those little things that we, that we do that we think are so good and we think we're pulling ourselves up by our bootstraps and patting ourselves on the back. No. You just can't make it. You can't make it. And we'll, we'll see that in just a minute. No. Uh, Paul counts it as dung, as sewage, worthless, he says. What about someone like Abraham? What does the scripture say about Abraham? Romans 4, 1 through 5. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. You're not going to get there by working harder, harder. You just got to work harder. 
God will be more pleased with me if I just do more. He's already pleased with you. You know, we need to get that truth through our thick skull. He loves you with an everlasting love and uh, has died for us and lived a perfect life uh, uh, for us. And uh, he lived a perfect life in obedience to the law of God. Imagine, he kept every law perfectly. And so God then credits Christ's perfect life that he lived to your account. So your record when you get to heaven will be perfect. But it won't be your record. See, that's what you got to get through your mind. It's not your record. When you stand before God and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? You don't say, well, that's a pretty good person. I ain't going to get you there. Of course, it won't be that way because he knows uh, your heart already. But no, we trust in Christ in his perfect righteousness. We confess that we cannot save ourselves. We must call on Christ to save us. See, faith receives that righteousness of Christ. We receive it by faith. And then we are declared righteous. For how long is that? How long is that? How long does that go on for? Hebrews 10, 14. I love this verse. I quote it to myself all the time because I need to hear it. For by one sacrifice, that's the sacrifice of Christ, dying for your sins, paying the penalty for your sins, there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus and so forth. He has made what forever? Perfect forever. Those who are being made holy. In other words, those who know Christ. Those who are trusting Christ. Those whom the Holy Spirit indwells and are being sanctified, made holy by his, by his love and grace. It says, you're what forever? So you've got to start looking at yourself as already perfect in Christ. And live out of that perfection. And uh, it's amazing uh, how that will change your way of looking at things. Why? Because our acceptance is based on him, not on your own righteousness. Even your best efforts in comparison to Christ's righteousness looks like filthy rags. Even your motives... My motives are mixed with sin. Have you, have you ever done something out of a pure motive sometime and, and then right in the middle of it you realize, oh, I got a pat on the back. And, I, and then you realize, wow, I've got me mixed up into this thing that I was doing. Uh, and I've, I've become a part of it rather than doing it for the glory of God. I did it for a pat on the back. So... We, we, we struggle, we struggle, we struggle. Why? Because we're self-righteous. We're self-righteous so much of the time because we think we need to add something to the righteousness of Christ. But it's our achievements don't have anything to do with saving us. So which righteousness here is he talking about? Is it the imputed righteousness of Christ 
are the imparted righteousness. It is the imputed righteousness, I think Paul is saying. Uh, if we were dressed in our own righteousness, we could not withstand the fiery darts of the devil. Uh, we sang a song this, this morning. My hope is built on nothing less than what? Jesus' blood and righteousness. That's your only hope. If you're trying to please God, if you're trying to earn your way to heaven, you're not going to make it. What you need to do is humble yourself, get on your hands and knees, confess to God you cannot save yourself. Please save me because I'm lost. I'm going to hell. God, have mercy on me. Save me, a sinner. And he'll do it. He'll come into your life and he'll fill you with such peace and joy for the first time that you'll go, boy, I should have done this 50 years ago or 10 years ago or I, I don't know how old you are. But uh, anyway, uh, it's, a, it's a glorious thing to, to understand the righteousness of Christ. And we need to, we need to plead the blood every day. See, we need to plead the, uh, we need to live out of that righteousness. We need to think that way. Whatever things are true, honest, just, pure, lovely, we need to think on those things. Uh, we need to fight like a justified person. We need to fix our eyes on Christ uh, because it's his righteousness. Have I said that enough yet? No. no. See, that's the thing. Well, what, if I had a, a dollar for every time he said righteousness of Christ in this message, I'd be wealthy. Well, you're going to hear some more because you can't hear it enough. We need to remember every day who we are in Christ, justified, righteous. You know, the scheme, one of the schemes of the devil, I think, is he likes to get us to thinking that we're paupers. Think like paupers rather than sons and daughters of the living God. Uh, that our acceptance is now. Our assurance is now. Why is uh, Christ's righteousness so important? Why is it so important to put it on? Because first of all, the truth that Christ's righteousness is our righteousness is a rebuke to our self-righteousness and pride. Because why? We think too highly of ourselves. First of all, we think too highly of ourselves. It comes from a low view of Christ that his righteousness is not enough. See, which is pride? What's the cure? The cure is higher views of Christ create a lower view of self. See, we need to think more of Christ and less of self. We need to die to self. Secondly, that this truth that the uh, Christ's righteousness is an, a regulation of our worship. In this way, it excludes boasting. It excludes boasting. Don't put self in worship at all. Don't say, thank God that you have used me so greatly and I am so wonderful. And no. You say, thank you, God, 
for saving me, a wretched sinner, and by your grace and mercy and kindness, you use me and my feeble efforts. See, you're not as good as you think you are, but Christ is everything you need. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about Christ and him crucified. And Paul got it. Paul got it in such a big way uh, that uh, one day I just wanted to sit down and talk to him about it. But it excludes boasting. Uh, it prays in glory. I think this is the ultimate design of God for us. And we will do it in heaven. I have no doubt about it. 1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31. It is because of yourself and your intelligence and in and uh, all that you've done for God and your goodness that you are in Christ. No, it is because of Christ. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us wisdom from God. That is our what? He's become our righteousness. Wow. Holiness and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord, not in yourself. Why? It's his righteousness. You have nothing to boast about. I have nothing to boast about. Billy Graham had nothing to boast about except Christ. And he would agree with that if he were alive today. And uh, boast in the Lord. You know, Satan goes after our worship uh, to get us to think that we are accepted because of our own righteousness. We need to fight that. Thirdly, uh, this truth of Christ's righteousness allows us to love and forgive others. As we've read in Ephesians 4, how can we forgive others when we have, uh, how can we not forgive others when we have been forgiven so much? When you understand <clears throat> that God has forgiven you, not because of anything that you have done, <clears throat> he did not look down into the future and see how good of a person you'd become and he loved you. He looked down into the future and loved you in spite of your wickedness. I can't even fathom such a love as that. And you know what? If you understand that love, you can forgive others and love others because that's the way God loves you. Isn't that amazing? That's amazing. Fourthly, uh, the truth that Christ's righteousness uh, is, a re uh, is a rebuttal for an accusing conscience. The devil loves to accuse us. You know, how can you say you're a believer? Uh, you know, if you just get your act together better before coming to God, then maybe he would accept you. How can you keep coming with all of your sin? Uh, sorry? You're not sorry. You just say you're sorry, but you're not sorry. You've just gone too far this time. I've just some of the things that come to my mind. There's no hope for you. There's no forgiveness. I mean, 
Have you brought this sin before God a thousand times? It's over. That's what the devil would love to whisper in our ear. And he does. He does. He, he's the accuser of the brethren. Well, first of all, you can say, no, Satan, I'm worse than you even think I am because you don't know my thoughts. But don't believe his accusation. What is a song saying? It's a song, just as I come without one plea. See, you don't come to God because you're good. You come to God because you're needy. You need him. You need his righteousness every day. It's not that you got his righteousness when you became a Christian and now you live on your own. You see, we need every day to see that we are clothed and covered in his righteousness that protects us. I know you think this way because I, I think this way so much of the time that we're beyond being forgiven. No, God wants us to come just as we are. And, um, you know, we, it's so easy to become depressed when we look inward instead of outward, when we see all of our failures and our faults and our shortcomings, and, uh, but you're not accepted. See, you're forgetting that you're not accepted on the basis of how well you do or how poorly you do. You're accepted on the basis of what? The righteousness of Christ. Wow. He is now our righteousness. And we can now come boldly. Hebrews 4.16 Let us then approach God's throne of grace, not of works. It's a throne of grace with confidence or boldness so that we may receive mercy or and find grace to help us in the time of need. Mercy. Find mercy, not justice. So you don't want, I'm glad it doesn't come so that we may receive justice. Boy, that's not good. Because if I get what I deserve, it would not be pretty. No, it's mercy. God is the one who justifies. Fifthly, because the truth that Christ is our righteousness is a rule for our emotions. You know, our emotions go in and out like the tide, up and down like the tide. Some days you feel saved, and some days I don't feel saved. But we must put, as we saw last week, truth over feelings. Truth over feelings. Christ's righteousness keeps us from our feelings ruling over us. Remember, you're perfect forever. Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13.8. And then sixthly, the truth that Christ is our righteousness is reassurance in prayer. It's reassurance. It gives us assurance in prayer that we have access to God through Christ because we're clothed in his righteousness and that he will hear us and he wants to hear us. Do you only come before God when you have done well? When you have done something good? Access to God is not based on our sanctification, but 
on your justification. That's access to God. It's because of, of what he has done. It's really interesting here. In James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another uh, and pray for each other that you may be healed. And then it's really interesting. He says, The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. It doesn't say perfect in himself. It's not uh, a, uh, a guy who has done a whole lot of good. No, righteous person. Who is that? Everybody who's in Christ through his righteousness. You see, the prayer of a righteous person is powerful. That means with all your sin, you can be powerful. Now, I'm not saying that gives you an excuse to sin, but you don't come to God because you get it all together and say, okay, now I've just, I can come to God now. This communion table before us, we need Christ. We come as sinners. Every day you come as a sinner to Christ, not who, who is somebody that has it all together. Why? Because Christ is the one who has it all together, not you. Wow, if we could just get that through our uh, self-righteousness, we'd be better off. And then seventhly, the truth that Christ's righteousness is our righteousness is the root of our obedience. Why do you seek to obey God? Are you still seeking to establish your own righteousness? Is that why you obey Him? What is that? Pride. To do good works, to be accepted by God. You know, those people, I think, in effect, say to God, don't grace me, but pay me. Don't grace me, but pay me. In other words, because I deserve it. That's pride. You do not want what you deserve. You want his mercy as we saw and grace to help in time of need. So we need to be graced, not given what we deserve. So why do you seek to obey God? To earn your way to heaven? No. To build up your own self-righteousness? No. To be accepted? No. But rather, it should come from thankfulness, love, and gratitude. Why do you come to this table? Is it to have your sins forgiven? No, your sins are already forgiven. You come to this table for us this morning out of gratefulness, thankfulness, appreciation, and love for what Christ has done for you. But God demonstrates his love towards you in that while you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. Boy, what a beautiful picture of the love of God. An unconditional love who would die for us, who hated him, who were shaking our fist in his face. And then lastly, because of the truth that Christ Righteousness is our remedy for discontentment and anxiety. Both come from pride. 
because we think we deserve better. Do you think you deserve better than what you get? I mean, I'm just asking the question to myself as well. Do you think that you deserve better than what you get? Do you understand, and I want you to understand this very deeply, you deserve the wrath of God. Do you really believe that, that that's what you deserve, the wrath of God? I don't think you can understand grace until you understand what Christ did for you on the cross. That he took your wrath. You realize that? And you deserve that wrath. Let that sink in. Let that just overwhelm you. It needs to do that. Remember, the most important thing we need is it a better car? Is it more money? A better job? More children? Better children? Health? No. What we need is the righteousness of Christ. Because without it, you're condemned forever. Condemned forever. What do we need to do? Remember what Christ has done for us. A lot of people think uh, this way about a cup. They'll say, well, you know, you need to be positive. The cup is half full. Don't think negative. The cup is half empty. But brothers and sisters, let me tell you something. For the Christian, there is no half cup. Empty or whether you, whichever way you look at it, why? Because what does your cup do? It overflows. How do I know that? 23rd Psalm. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. What do we have before us here? A table. You anoint my head with oil. My cup, what? overflows. Surely goodness and love or mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord for well a long time until grace wears out. No, forever. It's forever and ever and ever. Wow. See, that's what Christ has done for us. He has taken your wrath on himself. Why? Because he loves you. He loves you more than you can ever, ever imagine. He loves you. And that's demonstrated this morning in the table of the Lord, which we will... Now hear our second sermon and the men who were going to be passing out the elements if you would come forward. I want you again this morning as we partake together I want you just to remember you deserved 
the wrath that Christ took on your behalf. I want you to remember that His body was broken for you. That by His stripes we're healed. And I want you to remember as you take partake of the cup, which is full, that you'll drink all of it and that you would overflow with the love of Christ in your life. Overflow. Overflow with Christ. As you do what? Look at His righteousness. Because it's His righteousness that is ours now by faith. Paul says in... in, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. As I turn there. Paul says in the institution of the Lord's Supper says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Let's give thanks. Lord, we bow our uh, hearts and our lives before you. And as Jesus gave thanks, Lord, we also give thanks this morning. We give thank you, uh, 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 give thanks for the, for the life that Christ lived for us. We give you thanks, Father, for the uh, perfect life that he lived, that he kept the law perfectly for us. And now, Lord, by faith, we are perfect in your sight because we have the righteousness of Christ. Father, this morning as we remember uh, together the death, burial, and resurrection of our wonderful Lord, Lord, help us to feed on Him by faith, to put on Christ, to be clothed with Christ and all that He means to us. May our focus be on Him. Minister, O Father, to the hearts of each of your children here. Come and, and, and dwell us, empower us, O Holy Spirit, that we would give thanks from our heart, that we would not just go through the motions, but, Lord, that we would feed on you by faith. So minister, Father, to each one of us. In Jesus' name, amen.